If you're looking forward to trading the pain of this life for a blissful eternity in heaven, you're not alone. The Bible says all of creation feels the same. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah continues his series, Romans 8, the greatest chapter in the Bible, and explains how both nature and mankind are living in anticipation. Here's David to introduce today's message, The Groaning and Glory. You know, when you read in the Bible and it says we all groan uh, for the return of Christ, you wonder what that means, and then you stop to think. And you've all thought this. Every one of us, I have. You know, life is good, but there's something missing. A lot of things to be grateful for, but this world is not in sync with God. And when that's true, everything seems out of place. And God tells us there's coming a day when he will touch this universe and touch this world. It affects everything, spiritual and material, and put it right. And Romans 8, 18 through 27 talks about that in a way no other part of the Bible does. And we're going to discuss that today and tomorrow. I hope you have your copy of the study guide. If you don't, you should get it because it will help you uh, memorialize what we have been talking about and be able to review it and find out where the verses are. It's self-explanatory. It's something you can use for your own personal enjoyment and, and Bible study or We've been suggesting you get a bunch of your friends together, get a bunch of these study guides, choose a facilitator, and let that facilitator listen to the CDs every week before you get together, and then study Romans 8. I'll tell you what, you'll be really happy you did, and when you get to Romans 8, 28, you'll be frightened to think about not having done this. So study this chapter. It is truly the greatest chapter in the Bible, in my estimation, and it will be a blessing to your life. Don't forget also that um, we are going to the Caribbean at the end of this year, and there's just a little time left, a few days left, for you to decide to go with us. We're leaving the 30th of December. We'll spend New Year's Eve and New Year's Day aboard a beautiful cruise ship. We will see some beautiful ports of call. We'll have some wonderful days at sea. We'll have some great worship and I'll be teaching from the Word of God. What a way to kind of come down off the mountain of Christmas and all the holiday experiences and refresh your spirit and get ready for the new year and reflect upon what God has done for you in 2021. I encourage you to do this. We found this to be the right time and the right place and usually with the right people, and we hope you'll be a part of it. Find out about it from our website and plan to join us in just a few days as we go to the Caribbean together. Let's open our Bibles to Romans chapter 8. This is part one of the groaning and the glory. Fellow pastor and author Paul Tripp captured my thoughts precisely when he wrote these words about camping. He said, I am persuaded that the whole purpose of camping is to make a person long for home. <laughs> On that first day in the woods, putting up the tent is exciting, but three days later your tent has unpleasant odors you can't explain. <laughs> you love the taste of food cooked over an open flame, but three days later you're tired of looking for wood and irritated by how fast it burns. 
You were excited at the prospect of catching your dinner from the stream running past your campsite, which is reported to be teeming with trout, but so far you've just been able to catch the roots at the bottom of the screen. You're now four days in, your back hurts, there seems to be no more wood to forage, and you're tired of keeping the fire going anyway. You look into what was once an ice and food-filled cooler to see the family-sized steaks you have reserved floating gray and oozing in a pool of blood-stained water. (laughs) Suddenly you begin to think fondly of home. You stand there hoping that someone will just break the silence and say, why don't we just go home? Your four days in the wilderness have accomplished their mission. They have prepared you to appreciate home. Our world isn't a very good amusement park. No, it's a broken place groaning for redemption. And here is meant to make us long for there. Here is meant to prepare us forever. To understand the scope of the next section of the book of Romans, we have to have that concept in mind. We must understand the difference between the here and the there of the Bible. And we start in verse 16 where these two thoughts are linked between the words suffering and glory. Listen carefully. We are children of God, and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we might also be glorified together. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. Who would ever have thought that suffering and glory could appear in the same verse? They seem like they're opposed to each other, and yet here they are in the same context, looking all the world like they're friends. And Paul says when he thinks about suffering and glory, he considers it and he makes a judgment about it. The judgment is that the sufferings of the present time are a slight thing in comparison with the glory which is going to be revealed in us someday. It is this thought which controls our thinking as we examine our passage in Romans today. In the verses that follow, Paul is going to explain to us how wonderful our future glory is. And he starts by saying it is so great that even the creation is longing to experience it. Listen to Romans eight nineteen, For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Now watch this. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. I must tell you that this message is about groaning. The word groan actually sounds like it when you say it. When you say groan. And that's what you do, you groan. And the word groan appears nine times in the Bible, three times right here in Romans 8. And when we study this passage, we're going to discover that the whole creation groans, 
Christians groan and the Holy Spirit groans. <laughs> a lot of groaning going on here. Let's talk first about the creation that groans. The groaning in verses 19 through 22 is a reference to the non-rational animals and inanimate creation, and it includes animals, trees, mountains, rivers, plains, heavenly bodies. Paul says this whole world in which we live is groaning as it anticipates what God is going to do with the sons and daughters in his family. That's you and me. And the whole world is groaning, anticipating, almost wishing they could be a part of it, but of course they're not humanity. They're the created world, and it pictures the trees groaning, and the rocks groaning, and the hills groaning. J.B. Phillips translates this verse like this. He says, the whole creation is on tiptoe to see the wonderful sight of the sons of God coming into their own. The whole process of the groaning creation started back in the Garden of Eden. When Adam fell, the entire creation suffered the results of the fall. And as you know, this world in which we live is now under the curse of sin. Somehow or the other, the sin of man affected the lower orders of creation. Everything points to the fact that the constitution of the universe as we see it now is not what God wanted it to be ultimately. When sin entered, it all went south, and it's been there ever since and will be until one day when the earth, like all Christians, will also be renovated and God will make all things new. Paul describes the present condition of creation as subject to futility. Futility means the, the lack of ability to fulfill the purpose for which something was created. The earth today is not able to fulfill the potential that God had for it because sin entered and corrupted it, and it's paying the price. The hope for a better creation has been with the people of God from the beginning. Isaiah the prophet, speaking on behalf of the Lord, expressed it this way. He said, The wilderness and the wasteland shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. And Isaiah 55, 12 says, For you shall go out with joy and be led out with peace, and the mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing before you, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Isaiah pictures what God is going to do for this earth, and he sees the trees clapping their hands because of the work of God. The agony of what we've been through will one day be translated into the ecstasy of what God has for us. In the meantime, we're not there yet. We're here, and we're anticipating there. We're still on the camping trip. We're not home yet. Are you with me? Kent Hughes, one of my favorite writers, says many of us have pictures of our wives after they have delivered a child, and typically the baby is in their arms and the mother is radiant. None of us have a picture of our wives in labor. We do not reach into our wallet saying, let me show you a picture of Margaret groaning in labor. Isn't the agony terrific? Creation will one day be delivered, and the difference between then and now is the difference between agony and ecstasy. It's the difference between labor and birth. So the whole creation is groaning, and I hear people talk about it all the time. Earthquakes groan. 
Hurricanes groan, floods groan, fires groan. The whole earth is groaning because groaning is the sound you make when what you anticipate has not yet happened, when the thing you long for is not yet yours. This whole earth is longing for the day, and the Bible says that one day God is going to renovate this earth, and it will then become everything that it was intended to be that will happen during the period of time in the millennial age. So the whole world is groaning. Creation is groaning. But did you know that Christians are groaning too? You say, Christians aren't supposed to groan. Well, listen to what Romans 8.23 says. Not only that, not only the world is groaning, but we also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. Now, Paul says that we groan. Why does a Christian groan? Let me suggest three negative reasons and three positive reasons. But before I do that, let me tell you, this is an expression that you will never hear a preacher say, very often at least. And that is, all of us who are Christians, if we're honest, we know we're saved. We know we're going to heaven. We know Jesus is in our heart. We now know the Holy Spirit lives in us. We have eternal life, peace that passes all understanding. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. All of that is true. And yet, if we're honest, we know something's just not quite right yet. And the reason it's just not quite right yet is because it's not supposed to be. You were not created to find your ultimate fulfillment in the world in which you live. That ultimate fulfillment is reserved for the day when you are translated into heaven and you meet the Lord God and all will be right. But now, if we're honest, all of us, we know we love God, we love the things we do, we love our church, we love our families, but something's a little bit off. Something's a little bit out of sync. Something's just not quite right, and we groan because of it. We groan, first of all, because of the presence of sin in the world. Is not our world today a descriptive commentary on Romans 8.20? The futility of it all? Romans 8.20 says that the world groans because of the futility of it all. Christians groan because we see futility. Well, our knowledge leaps exponentially and our problems grow even faster. Books increase and ignorance prevails. We are doing a worse job now in our schools than we've ever done in all the years that I've ever seen education. We're teaching kids things that aren't even true, and we know they're not true, and we teach them that anyway. What the pervasive influence of our schools today, if you understood it, would make you shudder in your boots. Got more books, more ignorance. We have more harvests and more hunger We have more production and more poverty. We live longer and we fear growing old. We worship sex, but we cheapen love. Marriage counselors and clinics abound and divorce rates are soaring. Human solutions, which once promised to perfect our world, now can't even adequately preserve our world. We groan because of the ravages that sin makes in our lives and in the lives of those we love. We groan. We have this uneasiness in our lives because we see 
possibilities that are not being captured. We groan because we see gifted people who are wasting their lives, and we'd love to do something about that. It's recorded that when Jesus drew near to the tomb of Lazarus, he groaned. That's one of the nine uses of the word in the New Testament. He groaned because he saw the ravages that sin had made in this little family. Even though he knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the grave, he saw the pain and anguish in that family, and he groaned. We groan in disappointment. We groan in bereavement. We groan in sorrow. We groan physically in our pain and our limitation. Life consists for all of us on this camping trip with a lot of groaning. (laughs) We groan secondly, not only because of the presence of sin in the world, we groan because of the power of sin in our own lives. We know we're saved. We know God has loved us and given his life for us through his son, Jesus Christ, that he's bequeathed to us the Holy Spirit who lives within us, that we should be able to live a righteous and holy life. But then we don't, and we fail. You think you're unique in that respect? Let me tell you, one of the most godly men whom I've ever read about in my life apart from Jesus Christ is the Apostle Paul. And in the chapter in Romans before the one we're studying right now, Paul said this, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Paul understood that though he was a believer in Christ and had been given a new nature, he still had the old nature. And he called the old nature this body of death. And if you study that in the history of the words that are used, what he is saying is, I'm a Christian, but I still have this old body of death, and it's the picture of dragging a dead corpse behind you, the body of death. We groan because of that. We walk with the Lord, we live with him, we walk in the Spirit, but periodically the ravages of the old nature make their appearance, and we're so disappointed, and we groan, and we say, oh, man, how'd that happen again? And we groan thirdly, because of the practice of sin by those who are around us. Men and women, we don't live in a perfect world. In many respects, we don't even live in a good world in terms of the morality of the world in which we find ourselves. This is not an attempt to blame other people for our problem. This is not trying to say, okay, the reason we are the way we are is because they're the way they are. (laughs) No, 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 that's not what this is. It's a statement of reality. We suffer innocently when others sin whether it's personal or corporate or international. How many of you know when some of the things that are happening in our country today happen, of which we have no part, we still hurt because of that? Someone told me that there's an African proverb that says, when elephants fight, the grass gets trampled. (laughs) When things are wrong out there in areas that we can't even control, we often pay the price. What are we allowing to take place in the world in which you and I live? This is not what God intended for us, for this world. And the the only way you can express your feeling is to groan. We groan, and we groan because in the back of our mind, we know this is not what was meant for us, but because we also know God has something planned for us. 
and we groan awaiting that day. Those are the three negative reasons we groan. Let me give you three positive reasons that we groan. We groan, first of all, because we've been given the Holy Spirit to guarantee our glory. Let me try to cover this as quickly as I can. When you became a Christian, the Bible says you got the promise of the Father given to you, the Holy Spirit. We learned that. He comes to live within you. We know he wants to be the president. Immediately he becomes the resident. But the Bible says that this Holy Spirit who is given to us is the first fruits of God's blessing in our life. What does that mean? In the Old Testament, when Israel had a harvest, they were commanded to bring the first fruits of that harvest, the first evidence of the harvest. They were to bring that sheaf to the priest, and he would wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted on their behalf on the day after the Sabbath, the priest would wave it. In this Old Testament ceremony, the Jewish farmer would give the first fruits of the harvest to the Lord, and it signified that the entire harvest belonged to him also. In other words, Lord, here's the evidence that I'm going to have this great harvest. This is yours, but whatever comes after this, this is yours too. Paul speaks of the Holy Spirit as the first fruits of the believer's salvation. In other words, the gift from God of the Holy Spirit at the moment of conversion is the guarantee that one day you will be fully and finally redeemed. And the Bible says because we know that's true and because the Holy Spirit who is in us is the first fruits of that which is to come, we groan awaiting the fulfillment of that in our lives. We know there is more to come. We are so blessed by the presence of the Holy Spirit, but we know there's still so much more that God is going to give us, the first fruits of the Holy Spirit. We groan, secondly, because we look forward to our adoption being final. What Paul is saying is that when you become a Christian, you get the spirit of adoption. Ultimately, there's more to that, because after this, you get the promise of the adoption, and then ultimately you get the experience of the adoption. The experience of the adoption actually takes place in the future. And Paul says that this term that we cannot read into our Americanized definition helps us understand that one day we are going to receive the ultimate induction into the family of God. We are in his family, but we're going to be fully in his family. How many of you have ever been to a bar mitzvah? You know what that is? It's called the placing of the sun. That's what we're talking about. And let me just read something to you from an aged, famous writing. This is from The Robe by Lloyd C. Douglas. And here is Marcellus describing his adoption to a friend named Paulus. He says, when a Roman of our sort comes of age, Paulus, there is an impressive ceremony by which we are inducted into manhood. Well, do I remember the thrill of it abides with me still, how all of our relatives and friends assembled that day in the stately forum Julium. My father made an address welcoming me into Roman citizenship. It was as if I had never lived until that hour. I was so deeply stirred, Paulus, that my eyes swam with tears. Inwardly, the believer knows that there's ultimately going to be a time when not only will he be in spirit in the family of God, he will be in reality in the family of God. His adoption awaits, the placing of the son in the family awaits, and one day that experience will be his. And the Bible says Christians groan anticipating that. We may not even know what it is, but we know there's something yet to come that isn't here yet. And there's something within us that says, I'm not there yet. I'm still on the camping trip. (laughs) 
We'll have more about that tomorrow when we finish up this section. And then on Friday, we're going to begin two days of discussing the greatest verse in the greatest chapter of the Bible, Romans 8.28. You know that verse. I think we'll have some insights into the verse that will encourage us all. And uh, this verse is kind of one you always carry around in your pocket because you never know when you're going to need it. We um, want to encourage you to get the study guide and the CD package for this series. Uh, We make that available from Turning Point. You can order it from our website, and our website is davidjeremiah.org. We also have an incredible app you can use to make these transactions. But when you order that material, we'll send it right to your home, and you can go back and review it at your own pace, share it with others, and it becomes a real tool in your life. Don't forget to join us tomorrow as we conclude our discussion of the groaning and the glory in the greatest chapter in the Bible, Romans chapter 8. I'm David Jeremiah. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, Romans 8, the greatest chapter in the Bible, visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected our monthly magazine Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of Romans, the written word journal, designed by David to help you know God's word more deeply by writing the book of Romans in your own hand. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in English Standard, New International, and New King James versions, available in your choice of handsome cover options. Get all the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, Romans 8, here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Thank you for your prayers and support of Turning Point. We invite you to make an even bigger impact by becoming one of our Bible Strong partners. A special group whose support of the ministry is crucial in helping Dr. David Jeremiah deliver the unchanging Word of God to an ever-changing world. Turning Point is committed to presenting sound biblical teaching all across Canada. And when you stand with us in partnership, we also commit to you to provide you with empowering resources to keep you Bible strong. When you set up your online account at davidjeremiah.ca slash Bible strong, you will have instant access to Dr. Jeremiah's topical living library audio messages and his companion booklets, exclusive club resources, and our quarterly influencing your world newsletter. You can also purchase additional study guides at a 50% discount for personal or small group studies with our convenient one-click checkout. Plus, join our exclusive Facebook page. You will have special access to new audio podcasts and additional content from Dr. Jeremiah. Join with other Bible Strong partners today by committing to give $25 or more each month. Your prayers and donations are the backbone of Turning Point, keeping us Bible Strong. For more information or to join, visit our website today at davidjeremiah.ca slash biblestrong Even if you don't remember it, you have probably heard that there was once a day when doctors in America made house calls. I read about someone recently who said, you think you have problems? 
we have a plumber who no longer makes house calls. Think about how blessed we are to have water in our homes and even hot water and showers and bathtubs and indoor sanitation, dishwashers, and yes, even plumbers who will come and repair them when they break. These are blessings that many millions in our world do not yet enjoy. Every day we should be grateful to God from whom all our blessings flow. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover how to thank God on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life. Route 66, start your journey home today.